This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. This is the third part in a series. I know there's lesser people here than we normally get in a Sunday, but still, it's the third part in a series called The Cross. And so today, in part three of this series, The Cross, I want to look at the drama of Thursday evening and Friday that we call good and ask why he died. And maybe you remember he had spent five or six hours with his family of disciples in a room, very emotion-packed five or six hours. If you read John 13 to 18, He announced that one of his disciples, one of his family, was a traitor. And after that, they crossed the Kidron Brook and went to Gethsemane. And he poured out his his heart to his father in prayer. We're going to look at this passion drama tonight primarily from Luke's gospel. And we're going to touch on all aspects of it. And I'm looking at Luke chapter 22, and this is verse 47. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, even before he kissed him, he said, Judas, why are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? See, the chief priest and the Pharisees said, it's now or never. This guy has to go. This guy has to die. And Judas played right into their hands. Man, I'll tell you, he agreed to betray him and lead him to Jesus when there wasn't going to be a whole crowd around, when the whole crowd wouldn't say, hey, you're not going to take Jesus, man. He's a healer. He's a great prophet. So he let him when Jesus was alone. Why did Judas do that? Because he was disenchanted with Jesus. Jesus did not meet his expectations of what a Messiah should be. Judas' idea of a Messiah was one who would come. Oh, I think I said this already, but with lightning bolts in his hands. And he would come as a great warrior. He would come angry. He would come to destroy all the enemies of the Jews, in particular the Romans. He would come to set up this, this wonderful kingdom where the Jews would, would, would reign and he would fix all their problems. And Judas was trained in synagogue school. Judas knew Isaiah chapter 53. And I think to myself, you know, you know, a lot of us know this, but does it register? This didn't register with you, with Judas. I mean, you look for this guy on a white horse with lightning bolts. And he knew this, Isaiah 53.3. A prophecy of the Messiah. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, familiar with grief. Like one from whom we hid our faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. And yet we considered him, get this, stricken by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we 
are healed. And Judas knew all that stuff, but it didn't register. You know, I kind of thought to myself, I want to apply this. We do that too, and God doesn't meet our expectations, or he doesn't act like we think we should. We become disenchanted to a degree with the Lord. And like Judas, we people can become disenchanted when God doesn't fit the image that we've created for him. Listen, I got to tell you, the Father has a great purpose for every believer in his son. But folks, you got to let God be God. You got to let him be God and do it his way. It's better than your way. It is. It's better than, you, better than my way. Because <laughs> God's always right. So they apprehend Jesus as detractors and they take it to a nighttime. See, this was an illegal trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin, the council, the ruling council. I mean, there was a law that said, no trial shall begin after sunset. And Simon Peter, Jesus' disciples, follows him. Now, now listen to this. This is very interesting. Luke twenty two fifty four, Seizing him, seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. And Peter followed. What's the next words? At a distance. I like that. At a distance. Peter followed at a distance. Why? Because he didn't want to get too close to Jesus. He didn't want to be identified as one of his. Seriously now, followed at a distance. So being identified as one of his would threaten his well-being and label him as some kind of a religious nut. And so Peter kept a safe distance. Sat around a fire with soldiers. Had some fellowship with the soldiers and the servants. And maybe they talked about what's happening that day and age. Maybe they talked about the price of fish. Maybe they sat around that fire and said, we need rain, man. The land's thirsty. Our crops need rain. But see, at that distance, he was safe. And I thought about that, man. That convicted me when I heard it. Because I ask myself and I ask you, why is it we keep our safe distance? We offer wisdom and counsel to people. And sometimes we say, why don't you go to a counselor? I do this. Why don't we ever offer? And maybe you do. But why don't we offer Jesus Christ as the solution to the problems? We say, do this, do this, do this, do this. Come on. You don't know. Do you really offer Jesus Christ as a solution? Now, you keep your safe distance. Why don't we bring them up in conversation? Why do a bunch of folks say, yeah, I go to church, oh, but, but I'm not one of those fanatics, you know, who's against abortion and gays, I can flow with anything. See, we want to sit around, Peter, we want to sit around that fire and kind of fit right in with the world and at the same time, be one of his. And I don't want to get in a tirade on this, but that's why our country is going the way it's going. Do not blame Obama. It's you and me. Follow at a distance. And if we weren't following at a distance, this whole country would change. It's not his fault, folks. It's my fault. It's your fault. And Peter got along with the soldiers and servants until one of them said, you know, didn't I see you with them? I mean, he's Galilean. Hey, you got the Galilean nose. You look like a Galilean, man, I'll tell you. And then Peter lied and swore. He never saw, you know, he said, I never saw this guy in my life, you know. Three times he said, as a matter of fact. But here's the neat thing, and here's what I identify with Peter. I identify with, with Luke twenty-two sixty-two, 62, and he went outside and wept bitterly. 
That's what I identify with because sometimes I keep my safe distance. I try not to. And when I keep my safe distance, maybe I don't go out in the night and weep bitterly, but in my heart I say, God, I just blew the biggest opportunity of my life, you know. See what Peter did is he took hold of the Lord's forgiveness. Judah, Judas hanged himself. Tragically, the illegal trial before the Sanhedrin goes on all night. And Luke's gospel doesn't mention the high priest Caiaphas. The other gospels do, but Caiaphas, the high priest, masterminded. He was the mastermind behind the whole crucifixion of Jesus Christ. If I have to nail down one particular villain in the whole passion drama, it would be Caiaphas, the high priest. That's just my opinion. But verse 70 of Luke 23, 22, they all asked, are you the son of God? And he replied, you are right in saying that I am. Let me go back to Matthew here just for a second. Matthew 26. You don't have to, I'm just going to read this. You don't have to do this. Matthew 26, 63. The high priest said to Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He just didn't lie. Yes, it's as you say. And the high priest tore his clothes, verse 65, and said, He's spoken blasphemy. He's addressing the Sanhedrin. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they say, death, death, and death. That's their verdict. And now Caiaphas has to convince the Roman governor, Pilate, that Jesus is deserving of death. See, because Roman law wouldn't allow the penalty of death for just saying you're God and blasphemy and stuff like that. Roman law didn't know blasphemy. They didn't know God. And Pilate knew Jesus was innocent of all this nonsense, and he tried everything to release him. You know this story, including giving him a choice. Jesus or a hardened criminal, Barabbas. And then you get to what I call a really tragic verse in Luke 23, verse 20. It's Luke 23, 20. This is tragic. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. That's tragic. He wanted. He wanted to release you. Why? Because he knew it was right. See? Then <laughs> he turned Jesus over to him. He turned Jesus over to him because you know what? Read the commentaries. He was afraid, if he didn't, a riot would ensue. And if he couldn't keep peace and this riot happened, then his bosses, you might say, Caesar in Rome, would kind of look at him and say, well, you can't even keep peace there. So you're out of a job. Pilate was concerned about his job. And I know, I don't know personally, but I know of any number of people who wouldn't compromise their biblical principles, and so they lost their jobs. I know of people like that. And here's the bottom line of this. When you know what's right, like Pilate, you do what's right and let the chips fall where they may. Pilate had Jesus whipped, and so now his back was mush. And what they do now is they lay the horizontal bar of his cross. Because, you see, the vertical bar was already in Calvary, already in the ground. And they take the horizontal bar and they lay it across his back. And like anyone who was crucified, Jesus carried this thing through the streets of Jerusalem. He had to carry it through the streets to the city gates and outside the city gates to the place called the skull or Calvary, to the crucifixion grounds. And like I said, you know this, but on the way he collapses. And a soldier forces Simon. And Simon was a Jew. And he had migrated to um, northern Africa, which I think today this is in Libya. Cyrene is in Libya, northern Africa. 
And um, he had come there for the celebration of the Passover, and he just happens to be in that place at that time. Didn't just happen. That's God's will. And a soldier says, you carry the cross. And I thought to myself, what an honor. Jesus bears our crosses, you know. And Simon was the only one that I know of ever to bear Jesus' cross. Then you get to Luke 23, 32, to the most significant event in all history, along with Jesus' resurrection. And this is all God's word says. Two other men, both criminals, will let out with them to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And that's all it says. I mean, the most significant event in all history, and that's all it says. See, the Holy Spirit inspired the four gospels, and not, not, not one of them, not one gospel mentions how they hoisted him up on that crossbar to attach him to that vertical bar and what it must have felt like in here. I can just imagine. They yank him up. God doesn't talk about that. God's word says nothing, nothing, nothing about that. In how he must have hurt and agonized as he hung there gasping for breath, gasping to get every word out. Why? Why? I, I, I I asked myself, why didn't the Holy Spirit record that? And here's the reason that I came up with, because God doesn't want a relationship based on sympathy. God doesn't want to say, oh, he doesn't want you and me to say, oh, poor Jesus. Think God wants you to say that? Oh, poor Jesus. He don't want that. He wants a relationship grounded in love, in awe, in wonder. He wants you to stand in awe of him. That is why, folks, you never beg anybody to stay with you. Oh, if you leave me, I'll never make it. Stay with me because you feel sorry for me. Oh, poor me. Hey, when you get to that point, the relationship is over. You have lost them. There is the, the rela- a relationship based on sympathy is no relationship. So the Holy Spirit doesn't record all that stuff. And then Jesus says immediately, he says, in Luke um, 23, 34, he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. I mean, they just engineered his death. The Jews did that. I mean, they just punished his body mercilessly. The Romans did that. And he says, Father, forgive them. Now, you just, just come up with a name. Anybody you need to forgive? And then I look how insensitive they were to his suffering. I'm looking at the end of verse 34, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Hey, this garment's worth something. You know, let's, let's, let's throw some dice, and we'll divide it up, see? Verse 35, the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. <laughs> Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, then show it, man, save yourself. You know, that insensitivity is a message in itself, but what makes people insensitive like that? What makes us insensitive to to, to human suffering like that? I think one thing might be the violence on TV, you know, violence in movies, and all the video games, and all the PlayStation 2 and 3 games, and all the Wii games. I mean, are you mom and dad, are you moms and dads saying no to any of that? I mean, no sex, no sex, of course, no bad language, so it's got to be okay, right? But there is so much violence, everybody's blowing each other up. 
And when your kids become desensitized, and when you become desensitized, you have lost something very special and very precious. And man, I would cry out to God to get that back. Because that sensitivity is really what relates to other people. They can really tell if you are sensitive to their needs, man. And I'd cry out to get that back, man. Anyway, when I read about crucifixion, or what I read about crucifixion is this. The crucified one can't breathe, keeps gasping for breath. They want to die, but they can't. Sometimes they live for days. And Jesus died. Now, this is, this is almost unheard of. In six hours. Some guys lingered for days. He died in six hours. And he would have died anyway because it was Passover. I mean, they would have killed him. They would have broken his legs like they do the, the guys on either side. But anyway, why, why, why in six hours? They didn't have to break his legs. They pierced his side in water and blood fluid. But why in six hours, folks? Because he had control of this whole deal. He had absolute control of his passion. He was in total charge. Then he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that was the most anguished cry ever cried. I don't care how anguished you ever get and cry out, oh God, oh God, help me. I don't care how anguished your cries ever will be. No one will ever cry. You will never cry a more anguished cry than my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the sins we will ever sin were in his innocent, holy, and pure body at that moment. And the Father in heaven was pouring out all the righteous wrath he had against sin. But the deal is, he was pouring it out on him who didn't deserve it, not on you and me who did. That was the ultimate in his agony. And that, folks, is really what makes Friday good. I mean, get this. I mean, he saw his mom, that's in John's gospel, and gave, gave her into the care of his disciple John. One of, the cru one of the criminals was crucified with him. And, 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 and here's what gets me. I mean, he is absolutely selfless. This had to be the moment of his most intense pain. And he's able to forget himself and give this guy the assurance of heaven. Verse 39, Luke 23. One of the criminals who hung there with him hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ, the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly, justly. We'll talk about that. For we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He knew the holiness of Christ. And then Jesus said, and then he said, Jesus, remember, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I mean, what it took to just, just, just get this out. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You know what that tells me? It tells me you never give up on people, man. You never give up on people who, at this moment, have no saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You never do that. I mean, you, you, you storm God's throne of grace for them. I mean, you never give up. In their dying moments, something can happen in their heart, and they could cross that line from eternal death to eternal life. Then you get to his death, Luke 23, 44. It was now about the sixth hour. And darkness came over the whole land till the ninth hour where the sun stopped shining. The father shut the sun off. I mean, the father shut the sun off. 
And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And the Son of God died. And I thought to myself, the Father shut off the Son. I thought to myself, if I were standing there, you know, it is, folks, it is, it is pitch black. This is not just natural darkness like when, you know, the sun goes down. This is a midday, midday, eerie, supernatural darkness. And I can imagine those soldiers, I can imagine those guys just, just thinking to themselves, what's going on here? You know, I imagine their flesh began to crawl. And one of the centurions, we read it in another gospel, received Christ. I think it might have been that eerie darkness that made him do that. I don't know. But he cried out, into, the, into your hands I commit my spirit. And John's gospel records, he said, it is finished. It was a cry of triumph. And contrary to what some teach, there was no celebration in hell. I've heard people teach, oh, he died and said, it is finished, and hell was dancing. Come on. A silence came over every demon. If hell was anything, it was silent. Their doom had just been sealed. Listen to what Paul said, Colossians 2, verse 15, said this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made, listen, he made a public spectacle of them, powers and authorities, devils, triumphing over them by the cross. That's the deal. Triumphing over them by the cross. See, the cross, the symbol of suffering, shame, and death is triumph for us. Now, let's ask some questions. We got to ask some questions here. Why did he die? And you say, because he loved us, and that's right. And some say he died because of sin, and that's right, too. But the first reason Jesus Christ died is because he was obedient to his father. And that, that's number one reason, absolute obedience to his father. That's why he died. I mean, Jesus said, I have come, why? I have come to do the will of my father. Now, of course it was Jesus' will too, but it was the father's plan of salvation. You talk about love. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, you know everything our Lord suffered. Acts 2, 23, Peter says, This man was handed over to you by the Father's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. But by the Father, nailing to a cross, the Father's what? Set purpose and foreknowledge. That means the Father planned everything our Lord went through. Everything from Judas to Caiaphas to Pilate. And every one of these guys had free will choices. They made horrible choices. But don't you see what the father did? He engineered all these choices to bring about his perfect will and our salvation. Now look at Mark 8, 31, how Satan tried to get in the way. He just tried. He didn't want this to happen, man. And even used disciple Peter. I mean, Jesus said, Mark 8, 31. He began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected. And be killed after three, and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside, now get this, and began to rebuke him. Peter said, hey, you're the Messiah. Messiah, don't do that. Messiahs come on white horses with lightning bolts in their hand, and they destroy our enemies. And he rebuked him. I mean, that's a lot of crust. He rebuked the Son of God. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get me, get behind me, Satan. See, Peter said, Lord, I'm not going to let this happen, man. <laughs> hey, dude, I'm here. <laughs> Peter's here, man. And he said, I'm going to raise an army. We're going to protect you. Not going to happen while I'm around. 
And Jesus sees Satan using Peter. See, Jesus was committed to his father's perfect will. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, found an appearance as a man. He humbled himself. Now here's the word. He humbled himself and became what? Obedient unto death. Obedient to what? His father's plan. His father's perfect will. Number one reason Jesus died. He was obedient to his father's plan. Nothing would deter him. Understand this. He, um, God's word tells us that, that, that God the Father, well, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit too is righteous. But what does righteous mean? Think about that. What does the word righteous mean? It means he's always what? Right. Always right. Do you believe that? And to obey him no matter what is always. Ladies and gentlemen, take this principle home with you. Jesus Christ, the number one reason that Jesus went to the cross before any other reason is obedience to his father. It was just the right thing to do. Make this a principle of your life to obey God no matter what. It's always right to go against God's will and your conscience, the spirit in you will let you know if you're not in the perfect will of God. Excuse me, that contrary to God's will, you will always screw up your life. Every time, every single time, every single time you choose to go contrary to the will of God and follow your flesh, every time will you make this a principle of your life. I'm trying. <laughs> I have, I'm not there yet, man. It is always the wrong choice, and you are always going to mess up your life. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.